Joe Jones, Vale, Oregon's resident redneck and owner of Joe Jones Performance Horses. Horse Sense 101 is a podcast dedicated to helping you have a meaningful relationship with your horse and for them to be a willing partner in all your adventures. The podcast is available every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Mountain Time, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to join us on our Facebook group, Horse Sense 101. You can also find the podcast link, calendar, and news about our upcoming events on our webpage, www.horse-sense101.com, and sign up for our newsletter there as well. And if you have a moment and are so inclined, please leave a review on Podchaser. It's free, and I would really appreciate it. I have been rereading the book True Unity by Tom Dorrance this winter, and I thought it might be interesting to discuss this thing called natural horsemanship this week. Let's begin this discussion by reading a quick excerpt from chapter 3 of that book. But the part that has meant the most to the horse and me is the communication between us. This is the part where I really had to devote a lot of thought. I have watched horses when they are loose by themselves or loose in a group, gentle raised or wild range raised. Their naturalness will show and by studying their actions and reactions, I've been helped to understand how to present myself in such a way that the horses will respond to what I may ask of them. This, I believe, is true nature. This something that I have developed, I had to develop in myself, for myself, by myself. The true unity and willing communication between the horse and me is not something that can be handed to someone. It has to be learned. It has to come from the inside of a person and the inside of a horse. I believe horses naturally have tremendous faith in the human being. It is their natural instinct of self-preservation that the person needs to understand in order to gain the confidence of the horse. Many, many times I have seen where the person has missed the understanding of the horse's need for self-preservation. And this has caused the lack of confidence the horse is trying so hard to gain. Then, if a person can present himself or herself to the horse in a way that is understandable to the horse, so it can develop confidence, I find the horse is so forgiving. I wish I could describe the picture to you of what I see in a horse as I look at him, and I watch him, and I try to see him as he is, a horse. I try not to think of him as anything other than a horse. In watching horses, I try to let them tell me what is going on within themselves. There are so many things to try to bring out. 
it's hard to get it separated and get it in order so that people understand. When I say I want the person to think of the horse as a horse, some people might think that isn't much. But I am trying to bring out that the horse is really, really something special in his own uniqueness. I'm trying to stress the importance of the horse, of really seeing that horse as a horse, of seeing what he is and his potential. I don't expect many horses will be reading this book or dispute or verify my feelings. I don't know how many folks will. I would like to think I could present my thoughts to folks in such a way that I could share with them my feelings about the horse, that I could get them to see and feel what I feel and see. That would be a shared experience, a willing communication. Most of the folks I meet who ask me for a little help with their horses are good, trying kinds of people. They are striving to understand their horses and the problems they are aware of. I should try to work with them where they are, at their awareness level. Then we build from there. I want to help the person to be able to approach his or her horse with acceptance, assurance, and understanding to work towards true unity. And I try to offer the person the same. So what is natural horsemanship? Is it the best way to train my horses? And why is it so controversial? Well, for the sake of this discussion, I'm going to just concede that the school of thought behind this type of training referred to as natural isn't natural in the strictest sense of the word. Horses are naturally desired to graze, sleep, and play and reproduce in a herd of other horses free from human interference. So for my discussion, I'm going to refer to natural horsemanship as a type of training that encompasses a wide variety of methods that simply strive to achieve a deeper connection with the horse. Its techniques are based on horse psychology and the use of body language to communicate with the horse. I think a lot of what Mr. Dorrance was trying to communicate was that there was a better way, a deeper, more profound, maybe even a more spiritual way to connect and communicate with the horse. And he talked about using the horse's natural instincts. And I think that's where natural horsemanship got its name. Not that it was natural for horses to be ridden, but it was more beneficial to both human and animal to communicate with them in a way that the horse could understand. Now, why is that so controversial? One would think, and I've often thought, Gosh, it just sounds like good horsemanship to me. But the main crux of the criticism of this, I think, tends to be uh, levied at particular trainers who have tried to market uh, and make money from their specific type of training. I'm not convinced that's a fair criticism. Um, I'm not aware of any of these trainers. Uh, uh, noted trainer Pat Pirelli uh, was the first to admit that... Uh, Natural horsemanship is uh, so ancient that it's new again. Um, but he did uh, really popularize the term natural horsemanship. Um, but what is the history of natural horsemanship? Um, well, really, it goes back thousands of years. Um, the uh, author 
Xenoph, uh, circa 430 to 354 BCE, wrote uh, a book called On Horsemanship. Uh, similarly, uh, prominent classical dressage figures of the 16th and 17th centuries also advocated humane training techniques. But sadly, harsher methods of uh, outcompeted uh, general gentle handling due to people wanting to achieve faster results and the military demand for horses of the time. This was especially true in the Wild West of the Americas, where cowboys had to break large numbers of free-roaming horses in a short period of time, uh, both for cavalry mounts and for their use to round up cattle. Uh, what we think of as cruel methods, they, uh, they roped these horses, tied them up, starved them, beaten them, uh, choked them out, and uh, tied them up, got on them, and stayed there until the horse quit bucking. And it was a hard way of life for those men, and certainly a hard way of life for the horses. So, long about the mid-1900s, um, the kind of the fathers of uh, of what we call modern natural horsemanship um, were the brothers Bill and Tom Dorrance grew up in Joseph, Oregon, um, and they were the pioneering practitioners of of what uh, we refer to now as uh, uh, kinder and gentler methods. Um, now the Dorrance brothers really kept a pretty low profile. Um, I was never privileged enough to meet a, either one of these gentlemen. Um, I have fr uh, friends who did. And one of the things that uh, everyone tells me was that these men didn't say a whole lot. Um, they were characterized by uh, setting things up and then saying, there, did you feel that? Um, and they were more into trying to get people to help people figure this out on their own. Um, but they did have a pr pronounced and a profound influence on uh, uh, a gentleman named Ray Hunt. And, and Mr. Hunt was really the first modern trainer of national note to hold these, quote, natural horsemanship clinics. And uh, Mr. Hunt was able to demonstrate amazing amounts of progress in a very rapid sense uh, with wild Mustangs and with problem horses. Uh, he would go around the country and, and amaze people that horses people couldn't even touch. Uh, within hours, he would be riding and loping around in circles on a loose rein, stopping and turning. Um, so in reality, it turned out that these, uh, quote, natural horsemanship methods were actually faster than breaking a horse's spirit. Um, and so really, I, I don't think there's, there's a huge amount of controversy about how natural horsemanship works. Um, but there are certainly uh, some perceived limitations. So how does this thing called natural horsemanship work? Um, well, it, it's meant to be a psychology-based training platform for horses and trainers. And it consists of five basic concepts. And by psychology-based, I mean it, it works on the inside of a horse 
instead of the outside of the horse. And, and the five basic psychology concepts of natural horsemanship are, number one, approach and retreat. The words approach and retreat refer to a training, to training confidence in a horse. Um, let me give you an example. If I notice my horse is scared of, of a saddle, uh, I wouldn't just chase him down and throw it on his back and hope he gets over it sooner or later. Instead, I would approach him with it. I'd let him smell it. I'd let him see it. Um, and then I'd take it away. Um, and, and I'd wait for some signals to, to see that he had relaxed. And then I'd bring it back to him. Um, and I'd keep pushing that threshold further and further until finally I could actually throw it on his back. And then I'd take it off again. And by doing this over and over again um, and waiting for the horse to relax, ultimately we're going to be able to place that saddle on their back with them standing relaxed and calm. Now there are a ton of different ways of doing this. Um, there are vari variations in speed, uh, uh, the size of the saddle, um, the expression, how long you take uh, towards putting it on or off, um, positions. But the premises has always been the same. You move toward and move away and repeat until calm. The next basic uh, tenet of this is the, the note of pressure and release. And that's a, uh, a simple enough concept to explain. Uh, uh, maybe it's a little harder to apply um, in everyday, everyday detailed situations. But in general terms, uh, if you notice a horse really does not want to follow you into the trailer, uh, you wouldn't just push him in with a tractor. Instead, you'd hold uh, some pressure on the rope. And as soon as he took one single step in the right direction, you'd release your grip on the rope and acknowledge this effort. Then you'd repeat the process. Tighten your uh, slack on the rope. Wait for a small positive response. Loosen the rope. Then the horse is headed in the right direction. Now timing is everything in this. Uh, it release at the wrong moment. And they might learn the wrong thing. Uh, release at the right moment. And we should be able to begin to learn the right thing. Now, of course, there are many variations of this concept as well. Variations in the amount of pressure, uh, the speed of the pressure, the rhythm or steadiness of the pressure, the type of pressure, whether you're visual or uh, uh, pull or, or, or sound, um, the time the pressure stays on before it changes, um, the type of release, the amount of release, and the time you spend between uh, starting and stopping this process but the premise is always the same the pressure motivates the horse and the release is an acknowledgement the horse is heading in the right direction and if you're willing to invest just a short amount of time experimenting with pressure and release um, you'll you'll notice the benefits of it right away now the third part of this is uh, rewards and consequences what motivates a horse? The carrot or the stick? Each 
moment is different in every single horse at every given time or space. That means one moment you have to use the carrot to encourage and reward the horse, and the next moment you have to use a stick to push or prod or drive a horse. In natural horsemanship, both strategies are employed. For instance, if a horse steps on your toe, you, you push them away fast enough to make sure they know what they did was a bad idea. On the other side of that scale, if a horse shows good effort to perform a task, a war reward will be applied to show you appreciate the effort. Now, ideally, you'd want to be slightly more reward-oriented in your training style, which uh, isn't always the case with natural horsemanship or many traditional methods. Um, but we do want to see and strive to tipping the scales towards uh, reward-oriented training. Now, there are many variations to the reward and consequences concept. Um, including, but not limited to, the size of the reward or the consequences, the type of reward or consequences, the speed at which they are applied, the timing of when they are applied or taken away, the frequency of application, and the amount of time between corrections or rewards, and continuing the task at hand, etc. Now, the fourth, fourth base, basic uh, principle um, of natural horsemanship is uh, desensitizing. Now, desensitizing a horse means that uh, you're training them, and I want to be very careful about this. Um, I I don't want to have a horse um, so oblivious to their surroundings that they don't react to anything. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna call de de desensitizing this in this discussion as training them not to react in a negative way to a challenging stimulus. In other words, we want to build their confidence. The horse needs to learn that you, as his rider partner, have the ability to ensure his safety and that a fight or flight response is not necessary while he is under your care. If you notice your horse doesn't like birds flying out from the tall grass while you're riding down the trail, as a natural trainer, you will begin a specific program to take away his or her reactivity related to the experience. You might start riding with a dog, for instance, to simulate the coming and going of things at random in the tall grass. Or perhaps you'll work with a flag or plastic bag, flashing it past his vision randomly, integrating rewards throughout the process. Also, only carefully involving consequences if he puts one or both of you in harm's way on moving in the wrong direction. There are also many variations to this concept, including time spent in the program, how many sessions, how often, variations in the rewards, the intensity of the stimulus, uh, randomness or stimulus type, uh, type of environment, and whether or not the stimulus approaches the horse or the horse approaches the stimulus, and many other variables. The point is that the horses benefit from desensitizing of scary things. They need to be confident to carry a rider. Using approach and retreat techniques, a natural horse trainer can quickly build confidence in a horse that shows signs of fear.
And lastly, foundation training. The natural horsemanship industry has certainly cornered the market on the word foundation. Foundation means the beginning or start. It also means a building block for success. It's like kindergarten for kids. Horses desperately need a foundation before they are asked for higher levels of performance. And many natural horsemanship trainers have really good programs. They uh, make sure that uh, the horse and the rider are connected before um, the rider ever gets on the horse. Um, there are many exercises that uh, you can do with the horse before you begin to ride them, even exercises you can do with the horse before you put the halter on the horse that begin a foundation of communication, of trust, and of respect. And it's, it's certainly so much easier to finish a horse and to complete training when the foundation is one of honest communication, trust, and respect. You might ask yourself, so why is this so much different? Well, let's take a quick look at what I refer to uh, as traditional and some, uh, some people call uh, a force-based training system. Um, let's look at how it works and why it's useful. Um, certainly it's been used for many centuries. Uh, it comes from the military um, and from industry and from farming. And it was created out of the necessity for preparing horses for work or warfare. Now the primary goal of a traditional horse training was to teach a horse a specific task in the shortest amount of time possible and by force if necessary. And if the horse refused to comply, they are simply discarded and replaced with a more compliant candidate. Now, in the Old West, for example, Mustangs were rounded up and broke to ride. And they were done so by roping them, choking them out, blindfolding them, saddling them, climbing on and staying there until they gave up. Now, some horses would give this up pretty easily. And some would put up quite a fight. Now, the Indians, uh, while... Many say they were excellent horsemen, really did much the same thing. They typically trapped horses and led them into a river and jumped on their back while the horses were too deep in the water to put up much of a fight. And they simply just stayed there until the horse gave up. Uh, being in the water, uh, they would get out, get tired very quickly and, and not really be able, to, be able to mount much of a defense. And so by the time they reached uh, exhaustion or a learned helplessness, um, the Indian had control. Now, obviously, these methods were generally very effective, but they leave large gaps in the tr trustworthiness of the horses. And so a great many of these candidates had to be sifted through these programs to find usable horses that could be trusted. If you can imagine the first time you buck one of these Mustangs out, um, they might finally give it up. But after they caught their breath and a couple of days later you tried it again, you might be almost right back to square one. Um, so uh, <laughs> among these methods, uh, and, and honestly, um, a lot of many traditional training programs, uh, many horses have to be prepared and introduced 
to the discipline and, and only a very select few deemed suitable um, for competition and the rest are discarded. So what's so special about this natural horsemanship training? Why is it so useful and, and what really are the advantages, advantages of it? Well, here's my thoughts. Um, one is uh, there's an increased empathy. Um, when you begin to study the natural and uh, holistic horsemanship, you begin to learn more about your horse and its habits. You also start to pick on the, up on the subtleties of his communication and what he's trying to tell you. Now, this increased connection between you and your horse allows you to empathize with them and have a greater awareness of what they are feeling and seeing. You also develop a connection and a partnership. Now, by focusing on the partnership with the horse and their relationship training programs, um, it's easy to make a horse react because you're the dominant force. But that's not the answer. I think that you can tell a lot about your training session after a ride or a work session when you turn your horse out. Do they head for the hills to see their friends or linger longer to relax with you? Now for me, I want the horse to stay with me like I'm a member of the herd or family. Horses are herd animals by nature, and they're predisposed to form strong partnerships with others. The key is unlocking this connection and helping your horse to form a trust-based relationship with you. You need your horse to be able to trust you and know that you have their back in every situation. And by slowing down and taking the time to truly observe their horse and their behaviors, equestrians can see how their actions influence their horse's reactions. And as you learn more about your horse, you can find new ways to build your partnership and explore your training together. Next, communication. Communication is the hallmark of natural horsemanship training. And it's challenged in the way that you communicate with your horse. Now by looking at how horses speak with one another, you can begin to insert yourself into the conversation, asking your horse to respond to you in new and different ways. And I think maybe one of the most beneficial things is um, a personal awareness and introspection. Um, maybe the most surprising aspect of studying and practicing natural horsemanship is that how it changes your relationship with yourself. If you dive in deeply enough, you become really aware of how you influence and interact with your horse, especially how much your feelings, emotions, and body language can affect the horse and their behavior. When approaching this type of work, you need to be aware of how you are feeling, what you are thinking, and what your body language and energy might be saying to the horse. Remember, he's always present, tuned in, and ready to react based on his assessment of you. Now one caution here, um, one of the pitfall, pitfalls of this school of thought is there's a tendency to fail to keep your horse challenged. Now the most often criticism I hear of people who practice natural horsemanship is that horses never get past groundwork 
and when they do, they are so desensitized and dull they are difficult to ride. That could be why you rarely see nationally known natural horsemanship trainers in the top standings in the performance-based competitions. While there are exceptions to this, I have yet to see a top-name natural horsemanship trainer in the finals of the NCHA or NRHA Open Futurity or the National Rain Cow Horse Open Futurity or win an FIS Open Jumping Competition or any Olympic Equestrian Medal. Now that's not to say that the people who are competitive in these events don't practice some form of natural horsemanship training. Um, I'm convinced that they are all very excellent horsemen and women. But I do believe that they have found a way to take uh, just this basic communication with horses to the next level. And maybe that's something that we, uh, when we begin to work our horses in natural horsemanship methods, we might want to keep in mind that there's more than just uh, lunging your horse in a circle or making sure you can catch them. There's very, very so much more. So what is right for you? Traditional or the alternative natural horsemanship route of training? Or is what's right for you a combination of the two? Well, this may, uh, may strictly depend on what it is uh, you have for goals for your horse. Um, is your primary reason for having a horse competition? Or is it pleasure? Or is it companionship? Or do you have horses to teach your kids responsibility? Well, I'm not convinced it's an either or a proposition. I would like to think that uh, natural horsemanship is really just um, good horsemanship. So natural or traditional, which is better? The answer is that depends on what you're trying to accomplish with your horsemanship. But I think all would agree that some components of both have merit and a thoughtful examination of your methods and principles will guide you to make what's the mo what makes the most sense for you having said that, I think. Uh, recognizing your horse's basic instincts and psychology is valuable regardless of your choice of methodology. Understanding your horse as a horse and knowing how it's motivated, how it learns, what it needs is valuable in every discipline. I would offer a blended view of horsemanship. Clearly, natural horsemanship principles have the potential for improving the well-being of horses. But it has the potential to improve human beings as well. This current revolution in horsemanship is a test to prove that we humans can use our power of reason to displace our animal instincts and to have an amiable relationship with, other, with another individual, no matter how different that individual is from us. We can avoid the use of force, eliminate conflict, and establish a mutually beneficial relationship if we know how. The process involves reinventing ourselves, not just as horsemen, but as human beings. This new person observes, remembers, and compares. They listen more than talk. They take responsibility rather than assigning blame. They control their emotions. They become aware of their body language, 
They commit themselves to acting justly. They cultivate patience. They forgive. And of course, they place the wants and needs of another living creature ahead of their own. If we, the ultimate predator, can change ourselves enough to establish mutually beneficial relationships with horses, the ultimate prey species, then we should be able to do the same for our own species to the benefit of humankind. Who among us would not agree that the world would be a better place if our leadership was benevolent, our purposes clear, our intentions honorable, and our behavior consistent with our relationships empathetic. We all know there is something different and special about horses, but perhaps it is really that there is something different and special about us when we're with them. We recognize in the horse a means to reach our highest calling as humans. Perhaps that is the real importance of horsemanship. Thank you so much for joining me on Horse Sense 101 a podcast dedicated to helping you have that meaningful relationship with your horse you always wanted to have. Please tell your horsey friends about us and invite them to join us on our Facebook group, Horse Sense 101, and every Monday for our podcast available at 6 a.m. Mountain Time. I'd like to thank you, my listeners, members. God bless you and have a wonderful week. The Mustang still runs free. The eagle soars above the pinion pines And we know these horses stand for something That is precious and more rare Than all the silver and the gold from them old mines So let them run Let them run Let them white ponies run Don't you brand them, don't you break them Don't you let the killers take the same